podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 13th of April, and we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or Now TV outside the UK, also allows you to keep your data safe online. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Now back open. If you're in Scotland and want to go visit them, do tell them I said hello. Uh, Homeofhopcroft.co.uk for all your giftware and homeware needs. Right, folks, we had two games last night. First of all, uh, let me apologize for steering you in the direction of Brighton versus Everton. West Brom versus Southampton turned out to be the more entertaining game. But only for one team, for West Brom. They played really, really well last night. First things first, let's clear up the fact that they were robbed of a goal. Completely and utterly robbed of a goal. Um, Dianya scored after uh, 20 minutes, maybe. It was probably less. And it was ruled out for offside. And when they drew the lines... The, the, the linesman had flagged it offside. So there's the first issue. When they drew the lines, firstly, they drew them off the wrong West Brom player. Then they said they couldn't find the correct angle on the player involved. And then the official party line was they went with the on-field decision. It's an absolute nonsense. It's a shambles. It's further proof that, in my view, the officials are trying to sabotage VAR. There is no way they can be this bad unless they're doing it on purpose. My view is they want VAR out of the game so that they can have control back, so that their mistakes are not highlighted as much. We've already seen multiple occasions this season where the on-field officials have made clear errors and the VAR has failed to correct them because they don't want to make their mate look bad. We've seen referees go and look at the screen and not overturn things, despite it being a clear and obvious error. In credit to some, some have overturned multiple decisions, but the vast majority have failed to. This was a terrible decision. Dianya was clearly onside. It was a good goal, and he's been robbed of that. Now, it didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. West Brom are as good as down. This win doesn't really change that. They remain in 19th position. They're eight points behind Newcastle. 
They are only two points behind Fulham now with a game in hand, though. So that is worth keeping in mind, that they could get themselves at least into 18th position and just rescue a little bit of self-respect from the season. Uh, They bounced back brilliantly from having that goal disallowed. Mateus Pereira, who's in a really good run of form at the moment, scored from the penalty spot. Matt Phillips made it two shortly after. And then Callum Robinson made it three. I, I was really impressed by West Brom. I thought they played good football. I thought they showed a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm for the game. Defensively, they still had issues. And they were fortunate not to concede a penalty about 30 seconds before they actually did concede a penalty. Uh, James Ward-Prowse took said penalty. Sam Johnston made a good save. But the midfield pairing of of Yakuzlu and Maitland-Niles is working very, very well. Um, Maitland-Niles is starting to impress in that West Brom team. And I do think he's going to have suitors this, this season. It's a little bit disappointing to see Grady Diangana and Carolyn Grant not getting games, especially considering they're going to be two players they'll rely on next season as they try and come back up. But a win is a win, and it's a, it's a good win for them. Southampton, on the other hand, very, very disappointing performance. Just flat, lethargic. Those who bought stock in Yannick Vestergaard early in the season, despite my warnings... You should have paid attention. He's not very good. He's never been very good. He had one good run of form. He'll probably fool a silly club into spending money on him this summer. He is their new Dejan Lovren. He looks the part, but when you actually sit and watch him play regularly, there's so many flaws in his game. He makes so many errors. And the fact that he's so slow is a massive concern. He goes into the category with Tyron Mings. Looks the part. You don't want him in your team. Um, Disappointing to to see Southampton play so poorly in a game that they really should have been well up for and they really could have won based on league position. Um, They stay 14th. They're going to be fine. They'll be in the Premier League next year. But their second half of the season has been really, really disappointing. Up next for them... They have Leicester in the FA Cup semi-finals. Then they've Tottenham away. Leicester at home. Liverpool away. Fulham at home. Leeds at home. And then uh, West Ham away on the last day of the season. So it's not an easy run-in by any stretch. There's four games there against teams with Champions League ambitions right now. Tottenham, Leicester, Liverpool and West Ham. Leeds are in good form, but in that mid-table pack with them. Fulham at home is a game they should win. They're going to have to probably win one more just to be 100% safe, but that Fulham game should be it. They need to start showing a bit more fight. James Ward-Prowse, after a really good season, he's gone flat which is disappointing. Ings has gone off the boil. Walcott's not playing as well. The injury he had has obviously taken quite a bit out of him. Armstrong is still playing well, but you want more goals out of him. Redmond, to me, he's not someone you should be starting in the Premier League in 2021. 
Diallo looks very promising. Bednarak is still promising. Bertrand looks exhausted. He's played far too much football this season. And Walker Peters coming back off injury. You have to expect that he'll be a little bit rusty, as with Walcott. Um, but when you're playing two players down one side and they're both just back from injury, you're taking a risk there that you probably don't need to take. There's talent in that squad. I'm not sure what Takumi Minamino has done to fall out of favour because he was playing really well and he's not getting on the pitch now. He should be starting. Jenepo should be starting. Che Adams should have started this game. I think Salisu should be starting over Vestergaard. I think for Southampton now, it's about what are we going to do next season? What's our team going to look like next season? What do we need this summer? And if you take a look at them, they definitely need to get in a bit of depth at right back. They need to figure out who their goalkeeper is. Is it Forster? Is it McCarthy? Are you going to bring back Angus Gunn, who's, I think, doing okay on loan at Stoke? Bednarak, you know you have. Stevens is a good backup for him. Salisu should be the left centre-back. I would be looking to bring in a backup there and move Vestergaard on. You're going to need a backup for Bertrand. If they keep Minamino, then they've got him, they've got Genepo, they've got Armstrong, and they've probably got Walcott. I, I think he'll stay there. I think he's had a contract this summer. I think he'll stay there. So those four in those wide areas is fine. They've got Diallo. They've got Ward-Prowse. They have uh, Ariel Romeo to come back in. You probably want one more in that group. Someone who can who can dictate play a little bit more. It's it's the role they've sort of put Ward Prowse into. It's not a natural fit for him. He's done a good job for you know he in the first half of this season he did a very good job, but in the second half when things went against him, when he couldn't get a footing in the game, that's when he was struggling. You'd want one more in there, and then they've got Ings, they've got Adams, they've got Redmond. I'd want one more up front. Someone to start alongside Ings. But I think the squad is quite good. I think the bones of something good are there. They've got a good manager, but he does need to show a bit more flexibility, be a little bit more pragmatic rather than dogmatic. They always have a good academy. They've always got young players coming through. So they need to take advantage of that as well. But Saints aren't far away. Bit of depth at fullback, bit more depth at centre-back. You can balance that out by selling Vestergaard. One more in midfield, make the Minamino deal permanent, and then sign a striker. Doesn't have to be a big name. Doesn't even have to be someone that walks and starts day one, because you do have uh, you do have Che Adams there who can start. Now, if Danny Ings leaves, that'll be a blow, but it will bring in quite a bit of money, and then maybe they could go for someone like an Ivan Tony, maybe someone like Armstrong from uh, from Blackburn. If Ings leaves, I'd go for both, personally. That's a pairing that know each other. They were at Newcastle together. They've both been excellent in the championship this season. Arguably the two best strikers in the championship this season. I know Timo Pukki is having a great season, but I prefer the all-round game of Armstrong to what you get from Pukki. And I don't think there's any argument that Tony has been on a different level. So if they keep Ings one striker, if they lose Ings, obviously then they'll need two. But they need to get a bit of a view on next season over the remaining games this year for West Brom. It's just tough because they left it. They've left it so late. They've won back to back games, but they're still eight points off Newcastle with seven games to go. Now, look, Newcastle could well lose all seven games 
And West Brom could win three more, but it doesn't look very likely. Now, their end of the season, they've got Leicester away next, then Villa away, then Wolves at home. So that's three Midlands derbies. One against the top four team, one against a team that are in the upper regions of the, of the mid-table, and then Wolves, obviously, is that local derby. They did win the first one this season. Then they have Arsenal away, then Liverpool at home, West Ham at home, and then Leeds away. It's a really tough running. It's a really, really tough running. And they've just left themselves with too much to do. I don't see three wins in there. And three wins is the minimum they'll need, obviously. Um, Unfortunately for them, their defensive record has just been so poor. They've conceded 59 goals. And even with the improvement of late, they've still got the worst defensive record in the league. Now, Southampton are making a good old run at getting towards that. They've got 56 conceded. But they've also only scored 28 goals. Sam has underutilized Carlin Grant. He's underutilized Grady Diangana. Diangana is a good player, but he's not a big-time goal scorer. He seems to be more of a facilitator, someone you play in a two with a goal scorer. So I'm a little surprised Sam hasn't tried him and Grant together. I think that's something that could have worked. My assumption is that West Brom won't keep him or Yakuzlu if they leave, or if they go down, which is a shame because they're two players that do seem to fit really well. Uh, I would imagine that Mateus Pereira does not go down with them either. They'll obviously lose Maitland-Niles. They'll lose Conor Gallagher, who's been good for them this season. But there's some there's some promise in the team. I mean, Furlong is, is, a, is a decent right back. In the championship, he's a good right back. Still a little bit rudimentary in his defending. Can look a little bit like a linebacker at times, run, run around trying to tackle people with his arms. Uh, O'Shea is a talented young centre-back can play across the back line. I do quite like him. Might be a little bit of Irish bias, admittedly. Bartley, I don't I don't particularly like. I think he makes a lot of mistakes. Um, so I think you're definitely looking at needing a centre-back. I think you need a left-back. I'm not sure on Townsend. Johnston, I think they'll end up keeping. If they don't, maybe go knock on Southampton's door and ask for Angus Gunn in for a year. Um... But they need to sort out that defence in the summer, no matter what divisions are going to be in next year. They should have done it last summer. They should have done it in January. They still haven't. It's what's brought them down is that back line. They need to address it. They need to spend some money in that area. In the midfield region, they started with Phillips and Robinson on the wings in this game. Both good players. Both will thrive in the championship, as will Dean Ghana. I assume they keep him. Um, they'll probably lose both central midfielders, Yakuzlu and Maitland-Niles, and that's a shame. So, I mean, they do have Jake Livermore, they do have Roman Sayers, they're players that are well used to the championship, good enough to negotiate the championship and come back up. They'll probably be able to tap into the loan market as well. Um, they'll lose Pereira, they'll lose Diagne, but they'll have Carlin Grant. He'll, he'll score in the championship, no question. But they are going to have to do some work in the summer to put themselves in a position to come back up. If they could keep Pereira, it would be massive. He seems very happy there, but he's unquestionably a player deserving of the Premier League. And I do think he'll have interest. So they, they probably need to sign five or six players this summer, including about four, maybe even five starters. So 
It's a lot to do in a summer. They've, they're probably going to have to appoint a new manager as well because I don't imagine that Big Sam is heading for the championship with them. Uh, not his cup of tea at all. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see what, what decision he makes. Um, the report on the VAR incident is that the video assistant referee could not reverse an offside decision which cost West Brom a goal because officials could not find a definitive camera angle. Dianya thought he had scored and he flicked Darnell Furlong's shot into the net, but it was flagged offside. Replay suggested it was Kyle Bartley who was offside rather than Dianya. However, the VAR could not determine whether Dianya was offside, so the on-field decision remained. Now... Why not just ask the official what he saw? But you could see clearly from the angles that they did have that Dianya was onside. It's a shambles. It absolutely is a shambles. Even Ralph, Ralph Hasenhutl came out and said he thought it was a nonsense. So, like, when the opposition manager does, you know something's gone wrong. Uh, one bit of West Brom news... A man has been charged after racially abusing Romain Sayers online. Uh, I won't name him, but his name is, is listed on the BBC website. He's accused of sending an offensive message to the footballer via social media back in January, according to West Midlands Police. And he has been charged under the Communications Act and will appear in Dudley Magistrates Court on the 29th of April. Um... This comes in the week where we've seen Naby Keita racially abused. We've seen Trent Alexander-Arnold racially abused. We've seen Youngman's son racially abused. And this is a pattern that has gone on all season. It is definitely getting worse. Now, I've seen some people suggest that the reason it's getting worse is because people are inside more. They're on their phones more. They have less occupied time, so they're just venting. But, I mean, it's not an excuse. It's never an excuse. There's nothing acceptable about this. Absolutely nothing is acceptable about this. The good news is that Stuart Ward, who's a, a police constable, is the UK's first dedicated hate crime officer within a police football unit. So the police are beginning to take this very, very seriously. And hopefully we will see more action taken against the people who are doing this online. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the abuse towards players comes from outside the UK. This is not specifically a UK problem by any means. A lot of that abuse comes from other places where British police just don't have any sort of jurisdiction. So there are going to be your trolls and your scumbags that will get away with this. But surely at this point, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook can begin to just automatically ban any account that uses any kind of wording to avoid players having to deal with this. They, players should never, ever have to have to deal with this. Like, I get that people get really invested in, in footballers and in football, but because I do myself, but at the end of the day, 
They're men doing a job. Romain Sayers is a man who has a job. His job just happens to be playing football. But you wouldn't go up to the fella who puts your chips in the bag and racially abused him. Well, maybe you would if you're if you're that type. But like, he's the same as a guy who puts chips in a bag or who enters numbers into a computer or who takes pictures for a living or who writes articles for a living. No, nobody deserves to be racially abused. Nobody. In 2021, how are we still in a society where racial abuse is so prevalent? And I get that we had that buffoon in America being openly racist for four years, but he's gone now. And I get that the Prime Minister of England has a little bit of a sketchy track record with racism himself, but that's not an excuse. Racism's not okay. I don't care where you're from. It's not okay. And if you've ever, ever sent any kind of, forget racial abuse, if you've ever sent any kind of abuse to a footballer on social media, tagging them in it, please immediately stop listening to this podcast and don't ever listen again. Because you're not for me and I'm not for you. I'm just glad that this man is being charged by West Midlands Police. And I hope, I, I genuinely hope it has a catastrophic effect on his life. Because it will have had a catastrophic effect on Romain Sayers that evening when he saw that. Um, the other game was Brighton nil, Everton won. Graham Potter once again making a bizarre decision to play with nine men from the start. Uh, but Yves Basima was absolutely fantastic in this game. The best player on the pitch by a considerable margin. A considerable margin. Um, it's one more point towards safety for Brighton. They now have 33 points. They're seven points clear of Fulham with a game, a game in hand. Only three points behind Southampton. Their big issue this season has obviously been draws. This was their 12th of the season. But, you know, the defence has held up. They've only conceded 38 goals. They should have scored a lot more goals. They've created the chances to score a lot more goals. And when your goals per game is the same as Crystal Palace, you need to address that. So in the summer, that's going to be a big thing for them. Uh, they need to find someone that's going to score 15 to 18 goals in the Premier League. It's it's going to be difficult, but they have a great recruitment team there, and I back them to do it. They've got Trossard, they've got Mopay, they've got McAllister, they've got really good players who can create chances and, and score some goals. They're just not big-time goal scorers. Um, I don't know if Basima will be there next year. I assume he'll have offers, but if, if I was them, I would fight tooth and nail to keep him. I think him and Motor as your midfield pairing. Motor's been playing left-back and been impressing, but he's wasted out there especially when there's an empty shirt in the centre of midfield. Get Motor in next to Basima. I think you've got a really good pairing there. Lamptey will be back at right wing back. They need to address left wing back, as they have done all season. Now, Karbonik, the, Karbonik, the young the other young Polish lad they brought in, he is a natural left back with, with attacking tendencies. So maybe that's his role. If not, I would be going back to Spurs and saying, look, can we have Ryan Sessegnon on loan? Get him in. He'd be perfect there. Again, Ben White, they'll have question marks of whether they can keep him. I, I'd probably be inclined to sell him if you get 40 to 50 million for him. Because I, I do think he's vastly overrated. He's a good player, 
he's he's nowhere near the player he's made out to be. Um, they've got Lewis Dunk. They'll have Webster back. I'm not overly keen on the goalkeeper, but he does show some signs of promise. But you'd want a, a bit of depth there, someone to challenge him. Bring in maybe a bit more depth at centre back. You might need a starter to replace White. But after that, you're only really looking at left wing back and a striker. Um, and again, then maybe maybe some more depth pieces. Some they'll add some more young players. You'd imagine Brighton are always on the on the lookout for for talent, and um, they they do a very good job at identifying it. I'm I'm curious as to what Davy Proper has done wrong, whether he's just not training well or what. But why he sat on the bench and Adam Lallana is offering nothing in midfield, I don't know. Um, Brighton seven games left this season. They play Chelsea away next, then Sheffield United away, Leeds at home, Wolves away, West Ham at home, Man City at home, and Arsenal away. It is a tough run. It's a very tough run. There's there's two very winnable games, and, and even those are away from home. Sheffield United and Wolves, because the form Wolves are in, they're just beatable at the moment, uh, or all season. Sheffield United, they have to win. They just They have to get points on the board, because... Even with the, the gap that they have on Fulham, you just can never be too sure. And those last three games are tough. West Ham are going to be battling for the title, or for, for top four. Now, City may have the title wrapped up and may come with a you know very young team, very inexperienced team, because they've got eyes on, on the Champions League. So maybe that's a game they can, they can take something from. Going to Arsenal the final day will be difficult. But um, they, they need to get busy for the summer. They really do. Uh, they can't afford to to not address the goal scoring issue. They really can't, and they can't afford going to next season playing Danny Welbeck and Adam Lalana as much as they have. Um, I, on the commentary last night, uh, it was announced that Danny Welbeck was in great form this season. Great form. He's got four goals. Four. He's a number nine. 76 goals in 342 games in his career. About one in five for a number nine. Three seasons in his career, he's managed more than 10 goals. or Sorry, 10 or more. And two of them was 10. He's never scored 10 goals in a Premier League season. And this is the man who played for Manchester United and Arsenal. So it's not like he spent his entire career with bad teams. He spent the majority of his career with good teams. Um, he's, he's just not ever been all that good um and he's had injury problems and all that but he's just he's not a player i would be keeping if i was them i I would let him leave this summer and go about his business i think the mls is calling for danny welbeck um as for everton um their six-man defense was a bit much i have to say um they lined up with coleman and, D- and uh, Dinya as wing-backs, Godfrey, Mina, and Keane as the three centre-backs, and then Mason Holgate as a very deep-lying defensive midfielder, uh, Tom Davies, Gilfie Sigurdsson in midfield, and James and Richarlison up front, Dominic Calvert-Lewin out with the with the injury. Um, Everton played some good football. Alex Awobi had one lovely bit of, bit of skill that saw him come inside on his left foot and shoot just over the bar. Hamas was a bit peripheral in the game. Richarlison's a little bit wasteful. They have work to do this summer. Um, they're, they're getting there. I mean, there's, there's definitely promise. They need a better goalkeeper. Olsen's, 
Olsen would be fine as your backup, but you can't be your backup to Pickford. So if they could find someone to buy Pickford from them and reinvest in a, a quality starting goalkeeper, that would really elevate this team. Um, Dini is one of the best left backs in the league, no questions there. And Young and Kunku looks like a good backup to him. Coleman, at this point, I think should only be a backup at, at right back. So they need a starting right back. That's got to be a priority for them this summer, is getting a starting quality right back. I like Mina, I like Keane, I like them as backups. I wouldn't want them starting. I think Godfrey and Holgate are the two best centre-backs they have. They've both got the pace, the agility, the athleticism to deal with pretty much any setup in the league. The one thing you may have question marks over is whether they're good enough in the air as, as a duo. You won't really know until you play them as a duo. But if you've got those two starting and Keane and Mina as your depth, you're in a pretty good situation there. Um, they'll get a land back. Now, obviously, he's had the injury issues. But Gabarman is now fit again, and hopefully we'll see him actually get to play some football. So if they've got him as, as a bit of depth, that's fine. They've got DeCoury and then, say, Tom Davies as his backup. They need a third centre midfielder, and then I think you go Andre Gomes as his, his backup, and then that's fine. Ham is then kind of your left, your right side of player who floats in as a number 10. If they're going to keep Bernard, I think they should just use him when they don't use Hamas. I don't think you can ever play the two of them together. They don't have the work rate. Um, I'd be moving Gilfie on. They've got Calvert-Lewin. They've got Richarlison. They still own Moise Keane. I would be bringing him back. I just would. I'd absolutely be bringing him back. And then it will be, you know, another... Decent squad player, but I I think they need a starter in midfield, a starter at right back, and a starting goalkeeper. Um and then a couple of squad pieces. But all in all, that they've got they've got the base of something good. And they've kind of been scuppered this season. They've had a lot of injuries. In fairness to Everton, they've had a lot of injuries. Hammers missed extended time, Cavalt Lewin's missed some games, Dini missed a, a bunch of games, Alan has missed a bunch of games. Um, there's a lot of talent there they're not far off you look at the league table they're 8th uh, they're 4 points off Liverpool they'll be disappointed in that I think because they've been in multiple positions to overtake Liverpool with their games in hand and have, have kind of failed they still have a game in hand they've only played 30 now they play Villa twice um, home and away because that's the game that they have in hand they've also got Tottenham at home Arsenal away West Ham away Sheffield United at home Wolves at home and Man City away so difficult running we can put to bed any ideas that they're going to qualify for the top four uh, I definitely jumped the gun on that but I, I do maintain if they'd had their team fit all season now you can say that about other clubs as well but they've been very hard very badly hit with injuries not a, quite as bad as Liverpool but worse than say Spurs Chelsea West Ham probably about the same as Leicester probably about the same as Leicester um, but look it, they're still in the mix for, for Europa League if they win their game in hand they'll go above Spurs at the Conference League it'll be um, and look, if they get into Europe, that that's going to be good for them. But they'll spend money again this summer. 
the fans need to stop calling for Carlo to go because that is utter nonsense. Stop being so entitled. You're Everton. You've been awful for years. You've been awful since Moyes left. You've been up and down. You've had, you know, a good season followed by a few dreadful seasons. You were managed by Sam Allardyce. That's how bad things got. So let's settle down. Let's pump the brakes on any Carlo out nonsense. Carlo's the best manager your club has probably ever had. Um, so, you know, let's give the man a bit of time. A bit of time would be probably the best thing rather than just, you know, a year and a half and then saying, oh, he's not doing the job. He's he's improved you massively. You're actually a good team to watch now, which you weren't for quite a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, Everton have work to do. They'll, they'll, they'll have work to do this summer. Um, two games tonight in the Champions League. Uh, PSG face Bayern with a 3-2 advantage from the first leg. So with the three away goals, that, that is quite the boost for them. Um, but you'd never back Bayern, or you'd never back against Bayern. No Gnabry, who's got COVID, I think, or he's in the COVID protocols. No Lewandowski's huge, but Bayern still have loads and loads of talent. Sane, Coman, Muller, Kimmich, Goretzka, David Alaba, and uh, Alfonso Davies. There's just a lot of talent in that team. You'd never back against them. You'd you'd always be wary of PSG bottling it in a big game because they've got a history of doing that. But should be a good game tonight. That's 8 p.m. And then Chelsea versus Porto also at 8 p.m. I don't know why the games aren't on at 6 and 8. I really don't know why the games aren't on at 6 and 8. It makes no sense to me that they wouldn't be. That you wouldn't just put them on so everybody can watch both. Uh, or 7 and 9 if you want you know, to give people a chance to get home from work. Um, Chelsea with a 2-0 lead over Porto from the first leg. You'd be confident that Chelsea would go through at home playing Tuchel Bowl. You expect them to dominate possession and, and be comfortable. Uh, I think Andreas Christensen has travelled with the party, but he is a doubt for this game with a tight hamstring. Other than that, they're at full strength. So you'd imagine Chelsea will go through and they will await the winners of tomorrow night's second leg between Liverpool and Real Madrid, while the winner of PSG and Bayern awaits the outcome of the Dortmund versus City second leg. Uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll rattle through the news and the gossip. Right, welcome back. Uh, first things first, in the Carabao Cup final... Both Manchester City and Tottenham will have 2,000 fans each at the Wembley final. So 4,000 people in a stadium that holds about 90,000. So that's not going to be weird at all. Uh, fans under 18 cannot attend. People who are clinically extremely vulnerable, vulnerable or pregnant have also been told not to apply for tickets. Um, to get into Wembley, fans must pass a lateral flow coronavirus test at a designated site not at home in the 24 hours before the game and they must bring proof of that negative result either a text or an email uh, fans who get a ticket must cons must sign a consent form as the match is part of the government's events research program which is assessing how major events can reopen safely to the public as coronavirus restrictions ease in addition fans will be asked if they will take two PCR tests 
which are designed to show if someone showing coronavirus symptoms currently has the virus. Both tests should be taken at home, the first before the match and the second five days afterwards. Fans who get tickets for the final will be told how to apply for the PCR tests, which will be free. There will be 8,000 people in total at Wembley. Also 8,000, so 2,000 from each club and then 4,000 given out to, you know, the friends of the old white men. Um, They're giving NHS staff some tickets, though, which is absolutely brilliant and well-deserved. So um, it's it's a good step forward. It really is. The matches are three. Sorry, the matches are part of three of nine events. So there's the two FA Cup semi-finals as well are also going to be used for the same type of thing. Um, the World Snooker Championships, which I think starts this weekend, it's also being used. So look, it's promising. It is promising. As long as everybody is not stupid and behaves themselves and doesn't start licking people, you're going to be fine. I think it's a little bit harsh to stop under-18s attending because, you know, they're less likely to have the virus than older people. But it is what it is. Uh, Manchester United have dropped out of the top three on Forbes' most valuable clubs list. This won't go down well in certain quarters. Barcelona have overtaken La Liga rivals Real Madrid to take the, the top spot. With a valuation of $3.5 billion. United are fourth, while Bayern Munich have moved up to third. So the list goes as follows. Barcelona, a billion quid in debt. Real Madrid about 600 million in debt. Bayern, best-run club on the planet. Manchester United, $4.2 billion. Liverpool, $4.1 billion. Manchester City, $4 billion. There's just no way Manchester City are worth more than Chelsea or Arsenal. I'm sorry, they're not. Just the fact that those two clubs are in London and own their own stadiums Makes them more valuable. Uh, so Chelsea, Arsenal, PSG, and then Tottenham. All six of the big six in the top ten. Surprised Juve aren't there, being honest. Everton, West Ham, and Leicester are 15th, 18th, and 19th, respectively. Forbes said the average worth of clubs in the top 20 had increased by 30% in the last two years despite the impact of COVID-19 match day revenue fell 320 million fell to 320 million last season a 9.6% decrease from the 17-18 season so that, that is substantial obviously but again that's COVID despite the club's drop in overall valuation United had the biggest operating income of £121 million of the top 20 and made £468 million in revenue and probably paid out half of that in dividends to the owners and interest payments on the loans that the owners took when buying the club. Um, just as I said, Gabamon was fit again. Apparently, he's had an injury setback. That is absolutely woeful. So, yeah, he's he potentially out for the rest of the season. 
Uh, Trezeguet, obviously, I mentioned yesterday, looks like he's out for the rest of the season and potentially part of next season. And Pedro Neto um, has damaged his kneecap. Now, if that is a patella tendon like Joe Gomez, that is going to be career-altering. That is so, so disappointing for an amazingly talented young player who was probably going to receive big offers this summer. That's a shame. Uh, Tottenham are to hold a social media review after their Ford Youngman son was racially abused on social media following uh, Sunday's 3-1 Premier League defeat to Manchester United. Davinson Sanchez also received racist messages and the club said we shall now undertake a full review alongside the Premier League to determine the most effective action moving forward. (sighs) Go to people's houses and slap them in the mouth. That's probably the best option. Uh, Wolves versus Sheffield United has been moved to avoid a clash with Prince Philip's funeral. Obviously Prince Philip passed away at the weekend. Um, the game was meant to play be played at 3 p.m. on Saturday. It'll now take place at 8.15 p.m. And the FA Cup final will stay at 5.30 as planned. All 32 EFL fixtures scheduled for 3 p.m. have been moved as a mark of respect for Prince Philip, who died at the age of 99. Um, I don't have a big problem with this. Look, I'm not by no means a, you know, a fan of the royal family or anything like that, but man was 99 i just i just think it's a shame he didn't live to 100 i I just think if you get to 99 you really want to get to 100 i just think it'd be cool to live to 100 uh but that's just me efl clubs confirm championship league one and league two playoff dates so the efl have confirmed the dates for this season's playoffs with 12 fixtures scheduled to take place over seven days across the three leagues the regular season is scheduled to finish on the 8th of may and uh, so the 8th and 9th of May, and then the playoffs will begin I think the following weekend. So that is good news. Uh, playoffs are always fun. I, I really enjoy the playoffs for the Championship League 1 and League 2. Um, part of me wishes we could have something like that in the Premier League, but there's just no way to do it that would be uh, any in any way un-American, and you don't want it to be Americanized. David Ornstein has said that Manchester United are guarded against entering into another transfer saga with Borussia Dortmund for Erling Haaland after spending 10 weeks trying to negotiate a lower fee with Jadon Sancho. They were never, ever signing Sancho last summer once they got top four. They just weren't. And Ornstein has pretty much said that himself in his podcast. Once they got top four, they were offering way, way below what Dortmund wanted. Dortmund set a price and didn't budge off it, and United knew they weren't going to budge off it, and the rest was uh, posturing. Now, Dortmund have said that Haaland is not for sale. Mino Raiola and his father have been, you know, flouncing around Europe, attempting to sell him to pretty much everybody. Um, The volume of money they're asking for is ludicrous, because Dortmund are going to want easy 150 million and by all accounts they want 600 grand a week after tax i think i saw somewhere an estimation done on all the costs of doing that deal on a five-year contract 
and it was something like 400 million of an investment when you factor in agent fees, the contract bonuses, and the transfer fee. 400 million for five years of earning Haaland. And that didn't factor in that at some point during that, you're going to have to give him a new contract and then deal with Mino again. So I, I just, I don't think he's moving this summer. I think he'll stay put. Ornstein says that Harry Kane is next on United's list after Haaland. I think he's more realistic as well. But they would not do business at the proposed 120 million fee mooted within the industry. It is understand, understood that Levy will not, Daniel Levy will not sell Harry Kane to another English club under any circumstances, which probably limits his options to Paris Saint-Germain. Now, that's kind of silly because then Paris Saint-Germain can set the price as opposed to Spurs. Uh, Sancho remains of interest to United, but the club would only proceed with negotiations if Dortmund's 110 million asking price comes down significantly. Significantly is the key word there. If it comes down to 50 million, United might show some interest. If it stays up anywhere near the 100, it won't. And in fairness, why would Dortmund drop it? Why would Dortmund drop it? Uh, Paris Saint-Germain also thought to be interested in Sancho. I'd imagine most clubs are interested in Sancho. Um, Eduardo Camavinga, who is the best up-and-coming young midfield player in the world, is believed to be preparing to reject a new contract from Rennes. His contract uh, expires in 2022, so he's almost certainly going to leave this summer. He is phenomenally gifted. Phenomenally gifted. So whoever gets him is going to get a, a star for a decade. And they're probably going to get him at a good price as well because he only have one year left on his deal. Um, Marcelo Bielsa says he was prepared for Leeds going down to 10 men. I'm not sure that's true. No, Bielsa said he, that they weren't prepared. Bielsa said it was all about the players. But apparently journalists know better, and they're saying that they were prepared. I don't know. I think I'd believe Bielsa. Uh, Aaron Ramsey is happy at Juventus, and under no impression that the club want to sell him. Of course he's happy. Of course he is. He's on ludicrous money, considering he's a very average player. Of course he wants to stay. Why would you leave if you're earning that type of money um, and you get to live in, in Italy? Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Uh, the UK anti-doping uh, organization is set to take more responsibility for drug testing in football, a development that will be warmly welcomed by some in the game. Uh, this is good. This is a big step forward because I, I do think there needs to be more regulation. There needs to be tighter restrictions and there needs to be more severe bans because there's been players over the last number of years who have failed drug tests internally with their clubs and then gotten convenient injuries or had bans that were done very quietly and they were just chalked down as injured. So to protect the players' integrity, to protect their commercial value, maybe the transfer value. But it has 100% happened. At least two England internationals that I know of 
have failed drug tests in the last couple of years and then gotten conveniently injured for periods of, you know, three to four months afterwards. Um, Jamal Musiala's international debut for Germany does not mean he's forgotten his international roots, reports Raphael Honigstein. The 18-year-old Ford moved to Southampton with his family from Germany at the age of seven. And The Athletic reveals that he has remained involved with a community-based football coaching project in the city. And he has donated signed footballs to the to the uh, charity for them to raffle off. So that is that's really good. It's really good to see a young player like that, especially being so um, so willing to help others and, and you know so involved in, in community organisations. Aston Villa are set to begin contract talks with Matty Target. Fair, he's he's had a good season. Um, he is. A good player, I think he's not. I think if you want top four, which I do think is their ultimate ambition, I think he'd be a really good backup left back. I don't think he's a starting left back for a top end team, but he is a very good squad player at at the highest level. And for a mid table team, he's absolutely fine. He's had a good season. Unfortunately for him, he gets to play next to Tyron Mings, who's not very good. But, um, yeah, he started all all thirty games. He's been a consistent figure for them. Uh, I think he's missed fifteen minutes after going off injured, and um, yeah, absolutely fair. Adam Forshaw is set to make his comeback after eighteen months out. This is brilliant because this poor lad, his career has just been completely derailed. Um, eighteen months out with hip and groin injuries. It would be fantastic to get to see him get to come back and play a game of football before the end of the season. That'd be really, really good. Um, Garth Crooks has put together his team of the week, so let's check in with Garth and see what he's gotten wrong. Uh, he's picked Sam Johnston in goal. Don't really have a problem with that. Played quite well. Saved a penalty. That's fine. Uh, he's gone with Trent, Rudiger, and Andy Robertson as a back three. Uh, Rudiger wasn't even Chelsea's best defender uh, in in their game against Crystal Palace. He's picked Trent because he scored, because Trent didn't play brilliantly in the game. Robertson played well. Don't know if he's one of the best defenders in the league this weekend, though. But Rudiger is the big stinker in that. Uh, Stuart Dallas, he's picked him because he scored twice. Thomas Partey, he played okay. He played well. You know, Yves Basima was substantially better last night for Brighton, but it is what it is. Jesse Lingard, fine. Uh, Pulisic, again, he's picked him because he scored. Uh, St. Maximum played well, that's no question. Lacazette, yeah, fine, got two goals. Cavani's a... I wouldn't have Cavani in. Now, Pulisic should be in the front three because that's where he plays, not in the midfield four, uh, instead of Cavani. And I would actually put Pogba in the midfield four. Uh, Pogba played well for United, actually from the left as well. Um, and if Pogba could play like that regularly, uh, he'd be a good player. Like, it wasn't a great performance. He wasn't world-class. Uh, it was a solid seven and a half, eight out of ten from the left-hand side. Uh, United fans took to social media to remind everybody that this man is the best central midfielder in the world um, when he was playing on the left wing. But that, that's neither here nor there. Pogba should have been in the team of the week. Um, Basuma should have been in the team of the week. Kurt Zuma should have been in the team of the week. And, um, yeah, other than that, uh, well done. He did say something quite funny. He said, 
Jesse Lingard, yet another top-class performance from Lingard. Since his arrival, he has taken the Hammers into the top four and made them look like serious contenders. They, they, they've kind of been in that same position the whole time, Garth, but forget about that. Goals matched by bundles of energy, commitment, and desire takes the player back to when he was producing excellent performance matches United. He's never in his life played anywhere close to as good as this. Never in his life. Not even come fractionally close to it. Uh, he's doing fantastically for West Ham, but he needs to leave out the dance celebrations if he wants us to take him seriously. Garth Crooks is against players having fun. So if you could just send out a memo to all Premier League players, I doubt Garth watches that. He doesn't even watch Premier League games. He watches Match of the Day. But if you could just send out a memo to anybody, if you score, don't dance. You'll upset Garth. He's against any and all kinds of fun. Um, what a drip. Right, we'll wrap up with the gossip and get out of here for the day. Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid and Inter Milan are monitoring Jesse Lingard's situation. Uh, before the summer transfer window, the 28-year-old is impressing. No, they're not. They're just not. This is from ESPN. Now, I'm sure if I click on the link, will this be written by Mark Ogden? No, Rob Dawson. Uh, let's have a look and see who Mr. Dawson is. Rob Dawson, ESPN. Manchester United correspondent for ESPN. Right. So, do you think maybe United have leaked this out to try and up the price? I think that's probably the case. Arsenal remain keen on Celtic's 23-year-old French striker Odson Edouard would face competition for, from Leicester. There's going to be a few clubs, I think, interested in him. He's very, very good. Um, United are wary of entering into negotiations for Sancho, yeah, or for, for Haaland and Sancho. Um, despite the breakdown in those talks last summer, United are not ruling out another move for Sancho. Of course, not ruling it out. That'll upset their fans. They want them to think they're going to spend a bunch of money, and then they're going to go and sign a player they don't need for £40 million and a backup right back. Um, Erling Haaland's agent, Mino Riola, says Dortmund do not want to sell the Ford this summer. They've been clear on that. Manchester United have revived their interest in Sergei Milinkovic-Savage. Uh, the 26-year-old Serbian midfielder is also of note to Real Madrid and PSG. Do you ever notice how Real Madrid and PSG just automatically get stuck into conversations? And it's always the two of them. It's never just one. It's always the two of them. Um... I would I would pay money to watch a midfield of of Sergey Pogba and Bruno. I genuinely would. Um, he's a brilliant player. I would love to have him at Liverpool. He'd be a dreadful fit at United. He would be an absolutely appalling fit at United. Manchester United are in talks to buy Australian club Central Coast Mariners. There goes the summer transfer budget. I read about this yesterday. They're apparently they want to relocate the team now. That's shambolic. Buy the club by all by all means. Don't relocate them. Don't move them to Sydney. Like leave them where they are. Like I get that you want to move them into Sydney and you know attract bigger fan bases, but like Gosford doesn't have another sports club. They probably have an like a, a an Aussie Rules team, but it'd be lower league. Uh, they might have a rugby team, but like. Let's see what they have. Not a whole lot. 
the stadium's cool. It's right on the water. Why would you want to go and mess about with this? Just leave them where they are. So they did used to have a team called the Central Coast Bears who played in the NRL, the National Rugby League. Um, but they've moved. They now play in North Sydney. Just leave them alone. Don't move them. That if, Whoever's selling them needs to make it clear that they can't be moved. Uh, Tottenham are set to make a move for Bayern Munich defender Jerome Boateng. The 32-year-old Germany centre-back will leave the Bundesliga Giants at the end of the season. Uh, why would Tottenham do that? Like That would make no sense at all. Another soft, past-his-best defender who's never been a great defender anyway, always had a lot of errors in his game. Pace made up for it, doesn't have the pace anymore and gets caught out more. Uh, just say no. Imagine if they walked into next season with, with Toby Alderweireld and Jerome Boateng, the corpse of both. Five years ago, you'd have been like, yeah, that's that's fine, brilliant. But no, not now. Uh, Tottenham will prioritise strengthening the defence this summer, but must sell players first to raise funds. We think we've heard that before. That sounds very Pochettino-era-esque from Spurs. AC Milan are determined to sign... Uh, Fekio Tamora, who's currently on loan with a permanent deal. Well, they have an option to buy. So just take it up and go for it. Um, Chelsea's hopes of signing 22-year-old Gianluigi Donnarumma have been boosted with the, with the news that his contract talks with AC Milan have stalled. He is out of contract this summer. He is a free agent. He is, a, without question, a top 10 goalkeeper in the world um, with lots of potential. Now, the last goalkeeper with lots of potential that went to went to Chelsea was Kepa, so you know wouldn't be wouldn't be overly worried if he goes to Chelsea. Um, if you're a fan of a rival club, now he has immense amounts of talent, immense amounts of talent. He has stagnated a little bit. He's not quite where you would have thought he was going to be when he was sort of sixteen, seventeen, but he's still really, really good. And um, as long as Chelsea put him with the right goalkeeping coach and in the right situation. He, he will thrive. He, he will. He absolutely will. Eddie Howe, Frank Lampard and Sean Dyche are on Crystal Palace's shortlist to replace Roy Hodgson. One of those things is not the same as the other two. Well, in truth, there's three different levels there. Dyche is a very good manager. Howe's a good manager with flaws. And Lampard's a PE teacher. So no doubt Crystal Palace will appoint Frank Lampard. But they should be all over Eddie Howe. They should have been all over Eddie Howe last summer. Putting something in place for him to be ready this this summer. Um, Bayern Munich are interested in Spain defender Lucas Vasquez, who may not play again for, for Real Madrid. He's got a knee injury that will keep him out until the end of the season when his contract expires. Um... I assume Byron would want him as a backup. He's not really a right back either. He's he's a right winger who's been converted as he's lost a bit of pace. He's a good player, but he he's always punched well above his weight. He's he's not the type of player that should have spent that long at Real Madrid. But Zidane loved him because managers just like average players sometimes. Um, we see that in the Premier League quite often. Uh, Juventus are keen on signing Barcelona and France forward Usman Dembele when his contract expires in 2022. If you're a single person looking for love, find someone who looks at you 
the way Juventus look at Bosman transfers. Premier League clubs are considering a blanket social media boycott for one round of fixtures to send out the message that racism will not be tolerated. I don't know if that's going to work. I really don't. Um, Former Manchester United manager Alex Ferguson says ex-midfielder Owen Hargreaves was the worst signing during his time at the club. That is a misrepresentation of what he actually said. He was talking about how much he thought Hargreaves was going to be the ideal replacement for Roy Keane, how good he'd been for Bayern and for England before he signed, and then with the injuries and everything else, just how little he got to play for United and how the return on investment, considering they sold him, or sorry, he left for free, having played minimal amount of games, um, was just so disappointing. He wasn't disparaging the player at all. But when you consider that United bought him in 2007, and he played 39 games for the club across four years, 34 the first year in all competitions, three, one, and one. Um, And then he signed for Man City on a free. So just the, the return on investment was so low. Now he did win a Champions League and a um, and a Premier League in, in the season that he played. He he helped them win the double, um, you know, including the Champions League. So he did return the investment that way. But obviously, in in, in following season, I mean, five appearances across three years, it was horrible to watch Hargreaves' career end. Um, I mean, he re- was retired at, at 31 and he played nine games in the last four years of his career. So for all intents and purposes, Owen Hargreaves was retired at 27. Um, and look, there'd been, there'd been red flags in his last two years at Bayern. He, he missed 18 league games and 25 league games in his last two seasons there with knee injuries, but he was such a good player. He's he's always overlooked. But he was such a good player. Injuries just spoiled a very, very good career. Um, right, that's it. That is the show for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. And thank you to Foxhound for the opening music. Uh, I will see you tomorrow. Enjoy the football tonight. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.